voices to be lifted higher in the name of our Lord. If you would, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Continuing this series through the great epistle written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. This morning we're going to cover verses 18 through 23. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Sometimes it's necessary to hear bad news before we understand good news. Um, this is uh, the case in, in things we even experience in, in our life. You may think of when you go to see a doctor, uh, we only receive the treatment or the, uh, the medicine as a solution when we understand our dire need for it. Isn't that correct? We see our need, our health condition, and say, I need that medicine and I receive it gladly. But if it went the other way, hey, I just want to give you this medicine, you say, no, thank you. I thought about um, our students. Um, You don't want to receive what the teacher has to offer unless you think you need it. Isn't that right? And my parents tried to teach me that lesson for most of my years, pretty much until I was 22, 23, until I met Sarah and realized how foolish I am, not because I married her, but because that came out totally wrong. I needed to learn a lesson. That's, all, that's what I'm trying to say. And you're like, you, need, you still need to, sir. Um, but growing up, my parents would try to convince me why I needed math and science and history and English. And, and for the most part, it did not work because I would go to class and I'd say, why am I here? And the only reason I would want to listen to what they say as if I thought what they had to offer me was something that I needed. In a similar way, Paul wants to show us our need for the gospel. He wants to show us for what we saw last time we were in Romans, and he wants to show us why we need verses 16 and 17. Why we need the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He wants us to cherish that gospel. He wants us, like him, to be able to say, I am not ashamed of this gospel. So this is what he's going to do. 
He's going to show us our need. He's, he's going to begin in verse 18, and, and our need is going to be um, uh, expounded upon all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. And so he's going to spell out for us the bad news concerning the fact that God justly judges humanity for their wickedness. And he's saying, well, that sounds really encouraging, Chase. Thanks a lot. Well, hang in there. We're going to work through these verses and, and all the way till chapter 3. But what I hope to do is help us, in light of the darkness of our sinful condition, see the light of the glory of Christ at the same time. Paul will conclude or summarize what he's been saying through these chapters. And in Romans 3.23, most of us, if you've grown up in church, are familiar with this verse where, where Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the theme that is going to resound through 18, verse 18 of chapter 1, all the way through chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul is giving us the bad news. It's a reality check for us concerning the true conditions of our heart, highlighting, however, Verses 16 and 17, the gospel, okay? So we need to keep that in mind or it'll be really depressing for us, okay? The gospel's the good news, and I hope to bring us back to that good news at the end of the sermon. But in verses 16 and 17, we see that Paul declares the power of the gospel to effect salvation for all who trust in Jesus. He says the gospel... Uh, reveals the righteousness of God. And we saw that, that the righteousness of God refers to his, his act of redemption in the cross, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when we come now to verse 18, he says there's something else being revealed. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, but verse 18, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So why does Paul start with something so positive, salvation, redemption, only to then speak in the next breath, next verse, oh, by the way, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's because the good news is only understood and rightly appropriated. Our worship will only lift up higher and higher, as we just sang, when we understand the depths of our saving. When we understand our desperate need for the solution of Jesus Christ. In other words, we can only turn to Jesus for redemption and salvation when we understand that we need to be redeemed and saved. Jesus is of no value to anyone who doesn't think they need to be saved. But here's the shocking reality that Paul's going to expound for us. We must be saved from the wrath of God that is being revealed. And we don't like hearing that. We don't. That's not like encouraging. Oh, today was a great sermon. It was about the wrath of God. You should come back next week. <laughs> Most of the time, we're okay with a gospel that says we must be saved or redeemed from our mistakes. See how we kind of like to blunt 
the blow right there. We like a gospel that, that's going to help us in our struggles or our circumstances. That oh, I like a gospel that Jesus comes alongside me to help me reach a potential that otherwise I couldn't reach on my own. We like that type of gospel. But that's not the gospel in the scriptures. Yes, Jesus comes alongside us, but the Bible paints our predicament in much darker terms. What we're going to see is that humanity, and that includes all of us in this room and all those outside of this room, that, that's everybody, right? Humanity is without exception godless, unrighteous, the object of God's wrath and fury. Therefore, in a real sense, we must be saved from God as the judge. Just like Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, why did they flee? Because they feared God. The gospel is only good news when we fear him. And when people hear this bad news, and maybe this is you right now, often our, our heart's initial reaction is, wait, wait. That, that doesn't sound right. That, that's not fair. That, that's not loving. I thought God was good. And we begin to, 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 to buck up against this. Hey, that's not true of me. And what we're going to see, Paul actually deals with that objection in chapter 3. Just flip over one page or two. Chapter 3, verse 5, Paul's been laying down the bad news. And so he begins to throw out questions that no doubt he's probably heard from those when he's gone and preached from city to city. And he says in chapter 3, verse 5, But if our unrighteousness, just think of your sin, my sin, our ungodliness, sure serves to show the righteousness of God. What's he saying here? He's saying, if my sin serves to show how holy God is, what shall we say then? Is that, is that fair? I'm, I'm seen as wretched and God's seen as holy and righteous and good? Here's the question. It, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? And he puts this kind of side statement. I'm speaking like a, a human. I mean, I'm not thinking like God thinks. He answers the question, verse 6, By no means, for then how could God judge the world? What's Paul's point? Paul's point is that God's goodness actually demands that he judge the world. And if he's going to judge the world for sin, that includes us. And we get that. I mean, when we look at the world, we see the atrocities of the world, our heart cries out for justice to be served. Flip on the news, you see someone who's, who's murdered or, 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 or some tragic event. We, we think of, of, of rapists or we think of the atrocities happening uh, through ISIS in, uh, in the Middle East. Abusers of all sorts. People who steal, particularly those people who steal from us. We demand justice, right? But here's the kicker. We want God to judge the world. We just don't want him to judge us. But you might say, oh, I don't do those things that you listed. I'm not that bad. I just mean the really bad people. And, and this is where the gospel comes in and begins to tell us we're the really bad people. We all think we're good. 
I go into the jail. You know what? They all think they're good. <laughs> I'm not as bad as that guy. It's all relative, right? We just compare ourselves to find somebody worse than me and I feel good, right? And what we're going to see in this text is, is that we're all unrighteous and we're deserving of this judgment. What I want us to see this morning in verses 18 through 23 is that we're all wicked and our wickedness has its root in idolatry, okay? The root sin, you want to think about the sin that leads to all other sins. This is why we're not, although we may sin in different ways, at the end in our core we're the same. The root sin, the foundational sin that we're going to see here in humanity is the same sin that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve, the first human beings on the face of the planet, sinned against God. It is the sin of idolatry. It's the sin of idolatry. And from this sin, we're going to see that all other sins arise. And because of this, God is just to inflict his wrath upon what we may call the injustice of idolatry. That our idolatry is unjust, it's unrighteous, it's godless, it's wicked. So how is it that these that idolatry is unjust? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, here's the first point. Idolatry denies the truth about God. Idolatry denies the truth about God. And this is the first reason that God is just in judging humanity. Now, if you look here in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness do what? They suppress the truth. The picture here is of denial. It's of a prevention. It's of holding something down. Sometimes I'm playing with my kids in the house, and I'm, I like to be the beast. And I run through the house, and they're running for their lives. And, uh, and they run upstairs, and they go into a bedroom. They slam that door, and Daddy comes back. You know what they're doing on the other side of that door? They're all together pressed up against it holding the door back, right? Because they know the moment they let go, daddy's coming in, right? Well, that's kind of the picture that Paul paints here. The truth is coming in. The truth is everywhere, but in our unrighteousness, in our sin, we like to push it down, to hide it, to hold it back, and, and live in some facade that somehow we're okay. That's what we do. That's where the beginning of idolatry comes. And so we hide from God. The truth of God is ever before us. And, and notice here, and here's a theme that I want us to see this morning. All our acts of sin are active. No one's like this passive, innocent agent. Everyone's actively opposing God, and, and this activeness is seen here by suppressing, holding it down, the truth of God. In other words, God's truth is so blatant, as we're going to see, so blatant in the world that you and I must actively oppose it not to see it. So what truth is there? What, what, what truth are we talking about? Because 
When I look at the world, I don't see like a banner in the sky or a plane that does the smoke things and says, the truth of God is following. You know, it doesn't tell us that. What, what, what is he talking about? What truth does humanity deny? Let's go on to verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So Paul says there is a truth that God has revealed about himself. Some of your translations say uh, a truth in, uh, of what um, can be known about God. That which can be known about God. There is a knowledge that God has given to humanity. A knowledge of him that every single person on the face of the planet has. He gets more specific in verse 20. What is this knowledge about God that has been revealed? For his invisible attributes. So we can stop there. God is invisible, right? We, we can't see him. But he has made himself visible, continuing the verse. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What? Paul is telling us what the scriptures are telling us. What, what Pastor Mike read from Psalm 19 is that the heavens declare the glory of God. That built into the created order is a truth. It's, a, it's, it's not a saving knowledge of God, but it is a knowledge that there is an all-powerful and eternal being whom I am accountable to. That's what he's talking about here. This is a general knowledge. Theologians call this general revelation, okay? General revelation is the, the revelation or the revealing of, of, of God's attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, to all humanity. So there's no one who is born who doesn't have this knowledge from looking at creation. But it's not an exhaustive knowledge. This isn't everything there is to know about God. It's just, I know there's an all-powerful being, and he is divine. And it's through creation. Through creation this happened. God has, has manifested his invisible attributes. and In particular, we see his eternal power. I love the ocean. If I can vacation anywhere, I want to go to the ocean. I actually want to go out on a boat in the middle of the ocean where I can't see land. Sarah doesn't like that, so we don't always do that. But uh, <clears throat> I love the ocean. I love the current of the ocean, the swells of the ocean. You know what the ocean reminds me every time? I'm weak. The ocean can swallow me up in a moment, not to mention all the things that are you know, swimming beneath. Think of the roar of the thunder. At night when you wake up, you never hear the thunder and say, you know what, I'm strong. Some of us are crying like a little baby. Or our hearts are racing. The creation screams that there is someone powerful who's made all this. We look at the created order, the, the, the order of the seasons. It's a good thing the sun rotates or we rotate around the sun, and it comes up, you know, every day, right on time. Otherwise, if the order of creation were to come out of order, we would all die. 
Think of the intricate details of a plant or animals or our own bodies, our DNA, everything that we, we, we learn more and more about. It screams that we were created. And there was a creator who's very powerful and all-knowing. Tom Schreiner comments on this passage and he says, God has stitched into the fabric of the human mind his existence and power so that they are instinctively recognized when one views the created world. That is how God has created us in his image so that when we see his creation, we know these two truths. There is a divine being who's all-powerful and I'm accountable to him. Every human being knows that truth. And so this is the first element of the injustice of idolatry. Humanity denies that truth, suppresses that reality. Particularly, I'm accountable to this one. And we do it in very creative ways, don't we? We suppress the reality that we are accountable to this all-powerful creator. Verse 19 tells us that we suppress it by our unrighteousness. There's nothing good. It's not ignorance. It's not passive innocence. Oh, I just didn't look up to the sky. I didn't realize you were there. No, it is willful unrighteousness that we deny this truth. And so sin is the denial of God as he's revealed. It's covering up the truth that we must answer him. Like Adam and Eve, our first two parents who denied the truth of God, right? Satan tempts them in the garden, Genesis 3, and what does he tempt them with? Has God really said? And the truth changed, denied, sin abounds. And what do they do? They cover their shame with leaves and they hide. They don't face the reality. I can fix this on my own, and they run from God. And then when God finds them, it's not like, we give up, have mercy on us, she did it. You know, that's, that's what goes on. And when we do, the whole cycle continues. We hide from the truth about God, just like children who hide from their parents and go and get under the covers and think, no one will see me here. But we do it through pursuing unrighteousness and godliness as a means to take our minds off God. This is idolatry. And as idolaters, we're actively denying the truth of God. And that leads us to the end of verse 20. What's the result for us? So they, or you can put me, so or I, I am without excuse. Every single person on the face of the planet has this knowledge and is without excuse. The day of judgment... No person will have an excuse for not worshiping God. And the reason being is that God will be able to point to every single person and say, you actively denied my truth. I didn't know your name was Jesus. The truth that you did have, you actively denied. That's, how, that's, that's why sin is, uh, humanity is in a, a horrible predicament. So how exactly do we deny the truth about God? It leads us to our second point. Idolatry refuses to honor God. 
Idolatry denies the truth, but idolatry also refuses to honor God. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, see that past tense? They knew God. This is not, I did not know. Our kids do that, right? We do that when it's kids. I didn't know. Sure you didn't. We do the same thing. I didn't know. Or at least we try to even convince ourselves we didn't know. Scripture knows better. For although they knew God, what did they not do? They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Here's the deal. We are all without excuse because we all have a basic knowledge of our all-powerful creator. And we refuse to acknowledge that. We refuse to honor him as such. And this is the essence of sin. It's the active refusal to honor and glorify God. That's sin. When you boil it down, that's sin, that's idolatry, it's whatever tag you want to put on it. I don't want to honor him. As he has revealed himself, I therefore will do otherwise. That's idolatry. I'm often asked, and particularly as we've been going through Romans, and and, and some of you know what's going to come in Romans, some of the great theological debates, but I've been asked after the service or in community group and different times like this, well, Chase, do you believe in free will? I don't say, absolutely. Absolutely, I believe the Scripture teaches we have free will. We're rational, moral agents, aren't we not? We make decisions every day. You made the decision to be here, right? I made the decision to to preach this text, to say these things, to talk about this particularly. You're going to make decisions about about lunch or not eating lunch or what you're going to do this afternoon. Bottom line is, is that we're free to do what we want, aren't we? Now, we may assess consequences and say, well, that's a negative. I don't want that. I don't like that one either, but I'd rather have that one than that one, so we make a choice. And we do it all the time that we don't even think about all those details, right? We just make choices. And the bottom line is is that we ultimately do what our wills want to do, right? Well, here's what we see from this text is that humanity's default will is not to honor God. We don't want to. So therefore, we never will. Paul makes this point again clear in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. He's quoting the Psalms and Isaiah. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, and here it is, no one seeks for God. And he goes on, we'll get there soon enough. Here's what I want us to see. Humanity does what they want, and they don't want God. I've used this illustration. I borrow this from the great James Montgomery Boyce. It's with the Lord now. I said, you have a lion in the room, and you lay before him a pile of hay. On the other side, you've got a nice, fresh zebra. Every day you bring that lion in, What does he choose? Is he capable of eating the hay? Absolutely. But he will never choose the hay. Ever. Why? Because he likes the meat. Right? In the same way, 
we will never choose God. Because the scripture says our sin has distorted our wills so that we do not want him. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. And as parents, we know this is true. Grandparents, or if you've ever watched kids, or if you even just know your own self, no one's ever had to teach you how not to honor God or how not to give thanks to God. We learn this lesson with our kids a lot at the dinner table. It's time to pray. Oh, okay. And they drop their food out of their mouth, you know? Or you, you pray, and at the end, one of them boldly says, I didn't pray. I had my eyes open the whole time, and, and I got the piece I wanted. I got the chicken leg, you know? I didn't get the breast because you, you idiots were praying, and I grabbed what I wanted, right? That, that, that happens. I'll let you discern which child that is. <laughs> it's not even shameful. It's just, just you all lost out. And here's the deal. We have to work to be thankful, don't we? It's not natural. We have to be taught now, be thankful, honor God. And that's today. We'll, we'll go into our, our lunch. Maybe you're thinking I'm going really long. It's only 1127. We got time. Um, and, and you're thinking I'm really hungry. I'm really hungry. And you go through and, and and you can be so hungry that you just go on, you eat your meal, and you didn't even think twice about who got, that the Lord provided for you that day. I do that same thing. It's by our nature, we're default, we're, we're opposed to him. And every human does it. It's on the contrary, we, we need to have our wills changed and, and directed, and we need to be told, here's the good news, the gospel, so that now we're, our wills are actually freed from our sinful de demeanor. So we'll get in our routines in our life and we won't even think about the Lord, which is exactly what Paul says in verse 21. Look at the end. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, we turn our minds off to God and we pursue our own ends. That's our default right out of the womb. That's how we're thinking or not thinking. Sin turns our minds away from God and get this even against God. Think about sin in your own life, even as a believer. Those times where you're plagued with temptation, maybe it's vengeance, maybe it's lust, maybe it's coveting. And when your conscience begins to prick you, and here's how I define conscience. It's not very theological, but it's, I think, helpful. It's your alarm system that you're accountable to God, okay? When your alarms start going off, and you're in that choice now, do I suppress the truth and unrighteousness and choose to disobey, or do I resist and I, I choose Christ? What happens when you choose to sin? It's almost since you just say, I'm stop thinking about it, I'm going, Right? It's almost, you shut your mind off and you go forward. I'll deal with the consequences later. What are you doing? You're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, refusing to, obey, to honor God, and you move head forward in idolatry. Before Christ, that was default. 
That was his default. And yes, every person has a conscience. And Scripture speaks of those who have seared their consciences. Think of an iron, a hot iron searing something. And then there's no feeling left, right? If you continue to turn off your conscience, shut up, shut up, snooze, 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 you're no longer sensitive to it. Your heart, your heart becomes more and more hardened. Well, this is the picture of sinful humanity. This lack of honor and thanks toward God expresses itself now, as we're going to see, in the worship of other things. Idolatry denies the truth of God. Idolatry refuses to honor God. And idolatry worships a corruptible image. Look at the language in verse 22. So think, we've shut off our minds, but this is what we do. Verse 22, claiming to be wise. Aha, you guys were praying. I got the chicken leg. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Our lack of worship toward our Creator is declared wisdom in the world, isn't it? We claim that we can get what we want in life without our Creator. Or we can do it without doing it the way He says to do it. And we think we're getting away with it. And we think that we, we, we can just live however we want. The world declares, hey, we'll live however we want. And they call it wisdom. But look in verse 23, what, what we're really doing. We become fools because... We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Idolatry is the giving to another what is rightfully God's. In particular, we're talking about God's glory. Praise to God. Worship to God. And so instead of honoring God, humanity has chosen to honor itself. That's what we do. And develop false religions of various sorts. This is all means of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Not acknowledging God and exchanging God for false worship. Now most of us in the Western world, and I think that's most of us here, we're not tempted to make idols out of birds and animals and reptiles and bow down and worship them. However, throughout the majority of the world, that is there. It's everywhere. Idols that people burn incense to, pray to, bow down to. But don't think that we're somehow more sophisticated than they are. We do worship other things. We worship men and women. Think of sports figures. Think of movie stars, music artists, even ourselves. We just fashion the idol in our imagination or we attribute praise and glory to these other things. We'll give our lives to our sports teams. We'll never miss an event. But if I'm tired this morning, I won't go to church. And we do that. Colossians 3, 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And he defines all this, and he says, which is idolatry? 
So none of those things are bowing down to the wooden idol. But all those things, I would say, are things that our world worships. And it's idolatry. And he finishes off the phrase and he says, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So brothers and sisters, thinking about our our sinful disposition, thinking about the sinful state of humanity, we worship anything other than our creator. We know that there's one who created all things, but we'll, we'll worship the creation rather than the creator, the one who sustains us and who loves us and provides for us. And this false worship leads to all forms of all immorality. This is the foundational sin, if you want to put it that way. Idolatry. When you reject the truth of God, you refuse to honor him, and you begin to worship other things, it leads to all forms of immorality. There's a principle in Scripture that we become what we worship. We become what we worship. Think about that. What you worship is what you become like. We see this expressed in Psalm 115. Just listen. This is a a critique of idolatry that would have been temptation to Israel. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. And then the psalmist concludes and says, those who make them, meaning the idol maker, they become like them. And so do all those who trust in them. So whether you're making idols in your mind or whether you're trusting money, fame, reputation, your job, whatever it is that you've elevated above the Lord God and seen it not as as a gift from the good creator, but as the very essence of your being, you will become like it, it says. Well, in what way? Let's come back to Romans and, and let's see how Paul helps us see this. The point that that we see with idols is they're lifeless. They have noses they can't smell. They have eyes they cannot see. They have ears they cannot hear. They have feet they cannot walk. They're lifeless. Well, this is exactly what will happen to those who worship idols. Death. You'll become like them, lifeless. Look again in verse 23. We exchange the glory of the, notice, the immortal God. Maybe your translation says incorruptible God. The one who doesn't die, right? We choose the one who, we, choose, we do not choose the one who never dies, but rather for images resembling what? See the contrast? Mortal or corruptible, lifeless, and he lists those things. If we become what we worship, idolatry leads to mortality, corruptibility, and death. That's what it leads to. Whereas worship of our good and loving creator leads to immortality, incorruptibility, life. Why is this? Because God is light and in him there is no darkness. He is the life of the world. Everything that's good comes from our heavenly father. And I want you to see this. Everything good comes from God, yet in the insanity of our sinful minds, we we think otherwise. 
And the absence of God is death. The absence of God is death. That's why he's the most to be valued and praised. This isn't like God's just this egomaniac and saying, oh, I just wish they'd love me. And I'm going to judge them for not loving me. That's, that's not, his, his anger is not like ours. If you do not worship and trust in him, you will have no life. Because there is only life is sustained through him. He's the most precious gift of all. And we think that we can do it apart from him. Well, this morning, we've just started to explore the ugly truth about ourselves. We're all idolaters. Therefore, God is just to pour out his wrath upon us. However, I didn't really describe what the wrath was, right? What is it? I mean, come back to verse 18. For the wrath of God present is revealed from heaven. And last time I checked, the forecast was pretty clear. I didn't see fireballs coming down and earthquakes and seas roaring and, and floods. What does he mean? We're going to have to look at this in more depth beginning in verses 24 and following, but I do want us to see what this looks like. When we deny him, when we do not honor him, but we give our honor to other things, God's wrath is inflicted on us for our idolatry in that he gives us what we ask for. Do you see what's going on here? God's wrath is currently being revealed throughout all humanity because you don't want me? Fine. That's exactly what it says. Look at verse 24. This is where we'll pick up next time. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. You want that? Fine. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So currently, this is the state of humanity. They are fleeing away from God, rejecting God. And God's wrath that's being poured out now is that Okay, if you don't want me, you won't have me. And what does that result in? Death. Which ultimately will lead to the day of death. When God comes and judges the world. I told you, we come back to the good news, okay? But thanks be to God, he did not leave us in that state, right? Thanks be to God, you didn't let me continue running towards the ocean of hell. Because that's what I was doing. I was headlong saying, I don't want you, I want this. And this would bring me death. So when we see this and we come back to verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, meaning the, the saving righteousness of God from faith, we understand it can only be a faith. Why? Because I'm an idolater. I can't do anything about this. And therefore, I must turn to him, and he has made the way. Thanks be to God, he has not left us to ourselves. While we exchanged his glory for what is evil, God exchanged his glorious son to save those who are evil. 
He did this so that we may not incur the judgment that is coming upon the world, but that we may have life because there's life in his name. Our lives, have we've died to our old self, been raised to be new, and now we have life in Christ. And that's why he will be the great treasure in heaven, because he will be the sustainer of life. He is like the tree of life by which the nations will have their, their healing, and everyone will come to and flood to. Jesus is life, and idolatry is to reject life. And that's what wrath looks like. At least now, for the day of wrath when God throws Satan's sin and death and all those under its power in the lake of fire. But this is how it's being revealed right now. And you can just flip on the news and you can just search your own heart and remember where you were before you knew Christ. Say, you know what? I was left to myself and I was doing exactly what I wanted and what I wanted was going to bring death. But Christ saved me. Maybe you're here this morning for the first time you've really begun to click yep that's me that's me I want you to I don't want you walking out this door suppressing the truth and unrighteousness we're getting ready to sing in Christ alone and so those are going to lead us in song you can come on up in Christ alone and the gospel the good news is going to be declared we are singing Christ alone right okay good And after the service, if you want to know more about that truth, I'm going to be right under that screen. My left, your right. Come talk to me. And you can find life. Okay, let me pray. Dear Lord, these are tough truths for us because we think highly of ourselves. But Lord, I pray, please give us strength, Lord, for all of us to see the light of the gospel, the good news that is there to rescue us. Lord, help us see the depth of our sin, not, not to wallow in it, not to be, be hopeless in it, but Lord, to see the hope that has been offered to us in Christ. Our Redeemer has come to save us from an impossible position. Dear Lord, help us see your great love and that you sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners while we were still idolaters while we were still running headlong away from you yet you loved us how can it be lord help us to give thanks and honor you this day and as we now sing the gospel in your name we pray amen let's